Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. We delve deep into their stories, their struggles, and their triumphs. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name is Jamie, and today we are talking to Christina Waltz. She is a makeup artist and has worked on some huge films and television shows, such as Lovecraft Country, Star Trek Picard, Bombshell, Captain Marvel, Vice, and the show that we're talking about today, which is The Mandalorian. I'll let you in on a little secret with this episode. I was a bit nervous about speaking to Christina because this is a subject I know absolutely nothing about. But I'm so excited for you to hear this episode because it was fascinating hearing about Christina's process as well as her advice for those looking to get into this industry. Also, I've got to thank my friend Lisette Carafa who contributed questions to this episode because she is passionate about this kind of work. And so you'll hear those later in the interview. Okay, let's not delay any further. Here's my interview with Christina Waltz talking about The Mandalorian. I'm excited. I haven't, this is my first podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first discussion about makeup. <laughs> oh, cool. So we're both sort of new to this. <laughs> um, so first off, I'd love to know how you started your journey, how you got into uh, makeup for film and TV. Well, originally I went to school for animation. I started in kind of computer animation in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was kind of at the big CGI buzz. And when I kind of, I got into it, but as I started sitting in front of the computer, I was always an artist, a tactile artist. And I kind of was starting to miss physically working with uh, material. And one of the teachers that I had um, in this animation school was teaching us how to sculpt and do maquettes. And it really got me thinking about makeup as a career I spent a few years working in, or, you know, starting my career in CGI, but I just kept kind of thinking about makeup. So towards, um, I should say, my late 20s, I kind of, I just decided to go all in. I went, I took a little course uh, just to kind of see if that's like something that where I wanted to take the makeup. And as I got into prosthetics and learning the practical elements of it, I just really loved creating characters that way, as opposed to three-dimensionally through the computer. So it was it was an interesting sort of avenue, but as soon as I went that direction, I just started, like the doors started opening. I immediately, once, once I finished my course and started pursuing my career, I met um, a very prominent makeup artist named V. Neal, who's done a lot of uh, fantastic characters and makeups through like Beetlejuice, for example. And she's just really been prominent in, you know, especially the 80s and the 90s. And she really kind of got me into the world of character design and running a department. And I mean, it kind of just went from there. But I, I've been very fortunate with some of my my guides through this business. And one thing led to another, and here I am. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. My my wife's uh, an artist as well, and, you know, she does sculpture. Would you say that's a critical skill to doing this kind of work, having an artistic eye? I think I think it's important to have a good eye. I mean, you know, it's it's looking when you can look at because a lot of actors will look they you might be able to walk right past them on the street but it takes a little this and that to get them into the character mode you know like depending on what we're doing like whether it's a beauty makeup or it's just it, it sometimes it looks like there's no makeup on someone but there's a lot of contouring and shading and just little details that can really kind of bring out the character for camera. And as you start working in this industry, you start to see, and working with different DPs, you start to see like the way your your images are translating. So it's always great. We do camera tests, things like that, where we can see the character on camera. It's like, you know what, maybe a little more shading here or a little more contour. And I really think that does take an artistic eye personally, that's that's where I gravitate to. I was always interested as a fine artist. I always loved painting kind of surrealist characters or portraits. I was really into portraits. I, I didn't even know I was really into sculpture until I started my CGI program and we took a class on making the maquettes. And as I started to work with that th- three-dimensional form with my hands, I was like, oh, this is sort of I think I need to kind of steer myself in a different direction. And at that time, too, everyone thought I was crazy because it seemed like CGI was going to take over. And I was like, no, no, I I really think this is my direction. And um, I really feel like now the worlds have melded, you know, where I love, like, especially working, for example, Mandalorian. It's like we're so close with visual effects you know we 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 do a, have a lot of conversations that's where the the two intersect so i like that i have a little knowledge of that in the background and presumably from a sort of production standpoint it's it's you know not being too blunt about it it's cheaper to get it right in camera than having to yeah. fix it later right so yeah, yeah yeah you're you're really crucial to that to getting that right oh yeah and yeah, and it, it really, you know, having that conversation with visual effects always allows us to know how far we can push something and and when we should give them the proper canvas to um, do what they need to do. Right. So presumably the sculpture helps insofar as you know the mechanics or the physicality of the bone structure and the muscles, right? And does that inform how you do the makeup? I don't, that's probably a stupid question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know... Uh, with uh, not so much like sculpture isn't as involved in just say like a regular beauty makeup. It would be sometimes just looking at the anatomy of someone's face. So understanding anatomy and someone's eyes and seeing like, oh, if I were to extend this out a little, this could make their eyes look more dramatic or bigger or smaller. Like in particularly with some of the Mandalorian characters, you know, we'll exaggerate certain features like eyebrows or or lips, or just just do some very subtle things that you might not catch watching the show. But if you were to see the actor or actress in person, you'd be like, oh, wow, they look totally different in person than they do on the show. And it's just giving these little subtle details that sort of create like either the, the concept for the Star Wars or, or the characters for this particular world that they're from. 
but also in general, just in any movie, it's always great to accentuate certain features. Um, mm-hmm. It can really, it's it's sort of like, I guess it's really just an understanding anatomy and then seeing it on camera. So a lot right. of it is, you know, we think we, we know what we're doing and then we'll see things on camera and make fine adjustments. And again, it's talking with the DP and the showrunners and kind of figuring out lighting techniques and all of that. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was a little nervous about this interview because I, I it's a subject that I know very, very little about. So I asked a couple of friends and a friend of mine, Lisette Carafa, she's going to shout out to Lisette. She is really into this and and make up for filming TV. It's something she in another life would have wanted to do. So I actually got some questions for her and, and we'll go through them a little bit later in terms of the sort of mechanics of exactly what you do and how you achieve that. Sounds good. But before we get there, I'd love to know about your general sort of day-to-day existence on set. Like, what what is a typical day like for you? I mean, presumably you have to arrive pretty early before everyone, before the actors show up and do preparation. So how would you describe a typical day for you on set? Well, we do a lot of preparation also before we start shooting. So... You know, we have a little bit of a what we call a prep period where we, you know, we go through the scripts, we break down what is needed, and we we lay out our timeline. And once we have our timeline, like there's a lot of things in our particular timeline for this show that includes regular actors um, going into regular makeup, and then some actors going into prosthetic makeup. And then also we incorporate um, some character masks as well. So what we need to do is really first I I break down the timeline and that is before we start shooting anything and having that timeline broken down and the, you know, resources that we need, it allows us to start building, I guess, like I said, our calendar and our workflow. And then once the workflow is sort of established, we have to always be a little ready for a movement because things can change um, on a film set. Like, you know, you have a, we have a schedule, but sometimes, you know, we need to add an extra day to finish a scene or we need to, you know, bring something up so that something else can finish. Say there's a set that's still being built. So we have some flexibility to change. But for the most part, we lay out our timeline. And once once we've done all that in prep as much as we can, then we go forward with um, the day to day. So we'll start shooting. And again, you know, I'm always thinking I have a team with me. So I'm always sort of thinking two to three weeks ahead every day. So I might arrive and like I have my plan for that day. And for me, that's set in motion. I know what character I'm doing and that's great. But then throughout that day, I'm sort of trying to make sure that we're on time two weeks in advance, you know. So like I've got um, what's great is we have a workshop on site. So that's where we build a lot of our prosthetic characters. So if I go in, I usually go in early. We've got every we usually lay out our makeup the night before or our plans for whoever's coming in the next day so that we can arrive. We usually arrive about 20 minutes before the actor does and get get the morning setup routine going. And then the actor comes in, uh, we get them processed through. And depending on the type of scene that we're shooting, I may go to set with my character. I may have my um, right hand do 
like help me watch set while I have to maybe attend a meeting or or see how things are progressing in the workshop. And the workshop is always going. So I'll have a team of people there building the prosthetics, um, sculpting something out, creating the build that we're going to be needing, say, in a few weeks. So it's it's sort of a lot of managing time and then going to set and making sure everything looks good. So I sort of bounce around when we're really busy. And if we're not super slammed with a, a lot of things in the, that we're working on in the shop, then I will usually be on set with my character. Yeah. It's a lot of um, just just planning. But I, you know, it's really important to have a solid team. So I've got my I have a great team of people you know, we communicate well and, you know, we we have each other's back. So if someone needs to step away and take care of a task that needs to be ready for another project or another scene, we can all cover each other. So it strikes me that the kind of work that you do is very people skills oriented, right? <laughs> you're oh, yes. dealing with a, with a team and then, of course, you know, you're working on people. So can you talk about the importance of that and and being a people person in the kind of work that you do? Well, it's funny. Uh, I had a small stint in between the two jobs where I bartended. And, you know, between the, before, between the animation and the makeup. And I never in a million years would have thought that would have been the skill set that, like, <laughs> really helped me in this. But you really do need, you know, it, you need to be a people person. And also, you need to be able to read certain people. Like, actors all have their own process. Some are very chatty and they want to tell you about their day-to-day life and just, you know, it, it feels like you're talking to your best friend. And others are very much in their um, their zone, in their space, and they're thinking about their character. So it's really, you really have to start off by just reading the, kind of reading the room, you know. Um, someone will sit down and you'll know if, if they want to interact or not and just kind of go with that. But I think understanding that, you know, what we we will receive actors sometimes and in their most vulnerable no makeup you know they look nothing like they normally do in anything and it's early in the morning they haven't had their coffee yet like you know we see people in their most vulnerable state really so it's understanding that we usually have like coffee in the trailer we try to start you know start the morning routine and just being like friendly and a face that they recognize so, um, yeah, being a people person is very important. And, you know, also just being flexible because not everyone is going to sit straightforward and, you know, let you do the makeup. Sometimes you'll have, um, you know, people that need to take care of something, whether it's with their family member or, you know, they're on their phone and you just need or talking with their agent. You just never know. Like, there's a lot of things that can happen. So it's just being very flexible and working a lot around the parameters of that. Yeah, I guess I'd never really considered how sort of intimate a relationship that was in the, in that period of time when you're, you know, at, at that time of day when they're, like you say, they're quite vulnerable in that moment. Um, yeah. So sort of part makeup, part therapist too, I guess, at some points. <laughs> yeah, that's where I say the bartending skills really paid off. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Really yeah. the same. <laughs> so... 
do you take into consideration what the actor is then going to do on set, like how physical they're being? Or, you know, particularly we're going to talk about the Mandalorian specifically shortly, but, you know, a bunch of them are wearing helmets and they're taking the helmets off or they're fighting or whatever. Is, does that impact the work that you do? Oh, yes. Um, mm. And, you know, fortunately, we also are the AD team on the show is fantastic. But I mean, in any scenario, whether it's Mandalorian or other, there's usually a really good communication on what is going to be happening on set. So if someone's jumping into the water, for example, or taking their helmet off, like we sort of have, we, we will plan the scenes out and the day out to accompany that sort of thing. So perhaps we'll shoot all the stuff with helmet off first, you know, all the scenes that need helmet off so the actor's ready to go. And then maybe they'll shoot the rest of the day helmet on. Sometimes we have to go back and forth and, you know, but for the most part, if we go helmet off, it, it allows us to just get the hard part of the work done, the close-ups and everything while the actor is physically more, um, less exhausted, I should say. And then, then the helmets will go on and, you know, they can kind of finish out their day like that. Cause I know uh, it, it matters as all as well with hair, more so with hair because some of them have wigs and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to put all that under a helmet. So we kind of work back and forth between the two. But um, but yeah, typically we always know like like the day before we'll know, OK, this is happening at this point. So we need to do a transition or we need some time to uh, adjust this makeup. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the AD team is fantastic at just kind of giving us that information. Yeah. So you mentioned the AD team. So is that your sort of point person when you're shooting in terms yes. of the communication? Right. Got it. Yeah. So the first AD, she, uh, they usually are on set uh, managing um, what we're shooting and then they're communicating to the second ADs. And our second, we have, I have, there's like some second ADs and we have a, also a creature AD. So I'm usually talking to three or four people throughout the day coordinating certain things. So the, anything that's a creature, I will talk with one of the ADs and then the second ADs will kind of, they'll they'll be the ones wrangling and making sure we can get like certain people in for either their camera test or their or their makeup of that day. And if something changes like, okay, we need to do this scenario where the actor jumps into the water first, uh, can we uh, what's the reset time, you know, to go back to dry, things like that. So you know, it's always a balance where it's a it's a constant communication for sure. Yeah, I sort of love that. Was, you know, I've spoken to a, a bunch of people now in various departments of film and TV and and there's a constant refrain of communication, being a good team player, being a decent person to work with, all that kind of stuff that's that comes back constantly that, that is important. Oh, 100%. You know. I mean, you know, it's it's so much of having you want to have a good attitude, you want to be a team player because uh, particularly on this show, you're working so much with every department, and you know you you, you never know what you're going to need from that department. Um, and if everyone has their back, it, you feel supported, and you know you can lend a hand if they need it. it. It's a really important thing to have a good attitude on set. 
So we're jumping around a bit here. I want to go back in time a little bit and go okay. to sort of the prep phase for a bit. As we're talking about communication, and particularly when you mentioned prosthetics and things like that, that's a much more involved process, right? Oh, yes. Are you helping in the design process of figuring out these prosthetics or how, how do you, how do they come to be? Well, I'm working a lot with the, like, um, the art art department and the designs coming from the show. So um, Doug Chain, he really is involved with the creature design. And so we'll get a kind of a concept of what character they want. And then from there, like Vane is a perfect example. In episode one, he was our Nikto alien character. How I had to approach that was I looked at, you know, how we've seen this alien species in other episodes uh, previously, it had been more of a mask. So I used the reference of that character, the sketches of the character design that the design team came up with. And then I, you know, we had the actor that was cast to play him. So for me, I look at, at we live cast the actor and then I'll have a sculptor that will work hands on just creating the sculpt. And Constantly, we're doing revisions and refining and just sort of making the adjustments needed until we get this like a three-dimensional look on the actor, the life cast of the actor. And usually what I'll spend a lot of time refining these details with my sculptor. And then once I feel that we are at a really safe spot, I will then invite Doug and the showrunners and they will kind of take a look and see where we're at with this character. Doug is usually my first go because he will come by the, sh the workshop a lot and just, you know, he'll know the little subtleties that really need to be adjusted because he's very intimate with the Star Wars world and the characters. So he he and I will um, we'll, we'll make our little tweaks here and there. And then once we think we're at a good showing point, we'll show everybody else. And once everyone approves, then we go into the next phase, which would be molding and casting the appliances. Right. So it is quite a process. But I would say the most crucial part is getting that sculpture correct. So... Luckily, with this show, there is a lot of design previous to joining. And with Star Wars in general, there is such an enormous amount of like resource material out there on all these characters. So it does yeah. give us a good it, it, it gives us a good background for like what needs to happen. So is there a Bible that you can, you know, reference the, for the Star Wars universe that you can There's a lot. I mean, I... It's funny, there is a lot of um, resource material out there, and I, I'll, I've tried to buy it or you use it, but really, one of the best resources is Doug. He just really has, he has that eye, so it's like, if I'm confused about anything, I or if I'm not sure a color is right, it's easy, almost easier to ask him, because he's right there, and he's like, well... He'll 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 have subtle color adjustments, which are really specific, which is great to know. So um, we really, really do refine the character together and then and then go from there. Right. And so continuity is a big part of what you do, too. Right. So, oh, yes. Uh, 
How do you manage that? Lots of Polaroids, I should imagine, all the <laughs> <Yes>. modern equivalent. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we have a really great uh, system, which I probably I don't know how much I could talk about it, but we have a great system for the show that does allow us to keep a good record of the continuity. And, you know, we t- we have our photos all go into this place where, you know, we can pull up reference. I can pull up reference from other shows if a character, if we have a character coming on from a different show, you know, we'll, they'll get me the access to understand the continuity. But continuity is really important for the sake of just being something that someone recognizes. You know, um, when looks change drastically, it can throw off the whole visual experience so we like you know people people will catch it and be like wait they'll be taken out of the the show because it's like why is that so different you know so continuity is a is a major one so with any of our character actors you know we've got we've got pictures and i polarize you could say like pictures printed so we can follow the guide and make sure we keep everything the same um for our prosthetic characters you know we usually will pre-paint a lot of the prosthetic characters so that they're generally finished. It also saves a lot of time in the makeup chair, but we'll pre-paint a lot of the makeup. And then once it comes to application, just some subtle refinements and just we keep a lot of notes. Do you try and keep continuity with the makeup artists and the actors so that you match them up and they try and do the same thing over again? Or is it If we can, that's always... Uh, that's always great but there's it's not always the the case there's times when people aren't available or we're really stacked with a lot of characters that day so usually i like to know i'm very involved in them in all of the makeups so i usually like to just know all of the makeups and then if there is a character that needs a different person a different artist that day I usually try to find someone that I think could match um, the other artist's work. So if if I can't do it myself, I find someone that would I think could match it. And we, we have such great artists in um, in town that you know it's usually I can always find someone that can match the continuity. And that's a lot of a makeup artist's job is sometimes you just have to match someone else's continuity. And and having the we usually have all the supplies, the makeup that they need. So really it's just seeing and looking at a picture and then copying it. Right. But again, I'll be there or my key will be there. And if something looks off, we can adjust it. Now, without naming names, (laughs) have you ever had anyone wearing a really involved prosthetic and and having sort of a bad reaction? You know, like, I don't know, like skin reaction or like an emotional reaction or is that something Um, you've ever had to deal with? Yes, definitely. Um, So a lot of times we we ask a lot of questions up front before an actor goes through any sort of uh, process. Like most actors that have worn prosthetics before they typically know if they're allergic to something. One of the main products, or I should say, like materials that people can have an allergy to is latex. So latex is one, it's great because it's very soft. It moves great on camera, but there's also times when 
you know, someone's allergic to it. So we have to completely rethink the the makeup and redesign it. But we also have barrier creams, um, ways of somewhat minimizing that the amount it touches the skin. But the place I find people get the most nervous is really in the life casting. The life casting is not necessarily a, um, a skin reaction, but it is, you know, you're you're basically en- encompassing someone in a material that sets and then it becomes hard, like a, like kind of like a hard silicone, and then you peel it off of them. But it usually takes 20 to 25 minutes. And not everyone handles that so well. So that's where, you know, the team that I have life casting is very much like we've had people hold their hands. It's a lot of communication and a lot of discussion. In terms of actual reactions, though, on set, I haven't had a lot of that. And if so, we usually have to remove the product or remove it immediately. And we have towels and we'll bring a medic over if there's something wrong. But it's I'll be honest, it's pretty rare that I've had that experience because, Mm. like I said, we really try to ask all the questions up front so we plan ahead. And actors know, like they know if they're allergic to a certain glue for the most part. I've rarely put makeup on people that didn't know. Yeah, because they've been there, done that probably a hundred times before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like luckily I haven't haven't had um, any really tragic or like scary situation like that. I mean, if anything, it's like if someone starts to feel an irritation, we get the hot towel or a cold towel, depending on what is happening, and we remove the makeup immediately. So, And with the life casting, can you like 3D scan them? And then is there an alternative? There is. Yeah. There is some. Um, well, 3D scanning has gotten a very impressive over the last few years. Now I've I have worked on projects where we have had to use 3D scans to go from live cast. It is for the sake of uh, prosthetics, though, it's still sometimes a lot easier to do the live cast because there's just these little subtleties on the skin that are extremely beneficial in terms of just getting like the sculpture in the right place because 3D scanning is amazing, but it doesn't always get the little fine details that you can work with in um, like say certain wrinkles. It's getting a lot better and we probably will end up in a point where we won't need to do the life cast, but sometimes it is faster to do the life cast. It just depends. <laughs> but yeah. right now we, we are kind of in the, the world of both. You know, um, depending on like how detailed of a thing we are doing. Right. Sure. So has the sort of advent of higher resolution cameras and things like that, I know a lot of actors complain about it. Has that impacted what you do? Well, it has in terms of like how we apply makeup. I think, you know, there was a time when people were putting makeup on pretty heavily to look good for camera and film. You know, you you could do like a real soft makeup and build it up. And as the camera has gotten more and more detailed, I, I would say we remove makeup to a certain degree or really fine buff it. You know, like um, I, I really like a a buffing approach. Like it's really a lot of how we use our tools and how we blend the makeup into the skin so that the actor 
you don't want to read huge, like big makeup, big color on those 8K cameras. But again, we we're watching, we always can watch the monitor and see like, okay, that's too much. We can buff it down or something. But it really is just a matter of, again, talking with a DP, looking at the footage as we're shooting it and, um, and just understanding what will work with light and shadow. So we've mentioned the Mandalorian a lot. How did you get involved in the Mandalorian in the first place? Was this the first Star Wars show you've worked on? This this was my first Star Wars show. Um, yeah. Uh, the I knew the previous artists that had been doing it, and so when I was invited to join this season, I was ecstatic. I absolutely love the show, and um, and just took the the work that they had created, and then made it my own this season in terms of like how I approached any new characters going forward. Mm. And the technology on The Mandalorian is different to a lot of other shows because it uses the volume. Does that impact you in any way, how the, this show is shot differently to anything else? Oh, yes. The um, I mean, first of all, I love it because you can really, you really see the environment. You know, you're, you're shooting in an environment that is believable right away. And it was, it was really fun to to see these characters in motion in their environment. Um, it gives you a sense of like, oh, this is really how it's going to look. You know, sometimes when you have a green screen background, it's not the same. You're not quite understanding what's happening behind them. So having that volume is amazing, but it also does affect color. There is a brightness to the volume that um, sometimes like I've noticed it kind of takes reds very warm. So, you know, certain colors that we paint on certain prosthetic characters or lip colors or anything like that, we have to really play around with those with those adjustments. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And presumably if then, therefore, in contrast, you're working on like a green or a blue screen, you can't use those colors, right? When you're doing makeup, you're restricted. So yeah. you don't have that same restriction or... No, no, we we do not have that same. I, I find that we haven't had to worry so much about that restriction because like if we have a blue character, they'll put a green behind him. Or if we have a green character, they'll put a blue behind him. So like visual effects can sort that out, you know, um, based on the character. I think if they want the characters to have a certain skin tone, like these specific colors, they'll they'll go for the color and then we'll put it in the volume and see how it reads. And then if they do need to put any sort of green screen up, it's they can decide if it's green or blue. Right. Okay. All right. I think it's time for me to dive into Lisette's questions. And you know what I'm going to do? Because she sent me a bunch of them, I'm going to put them in the chat and then you can cherry pick the ones you want to answer. Okay. <laughs> Let me just drag them in. So these are the first four. Oh, cool. So... Does it feel like Halloween makeup every day is one one of the first questions. You know, Halloween is definitely the segue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I mean, Halloween is always, I loved Halloween. It was definitely the, the time of year where you get to dress up and be a new character, whether it's something that you knew from a movie or if it was something that you, is just out of your imagination. Halloween has always been definitely a fun a fun holiday for most makeup artists. I don't know very many makeup artists that don't love Halloween. However, as you start working and doing these makeups on a, 
a lot. I've noticed my last few Halloweens have become <laughs> a day of rest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. A busman's holiday. Like, Is that, um, you use that expression over here? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, uh, you know, it, I, I definitely am. It does feel like Halloween every day. And you, but you also, it eventually turns into the career that you're doing. So it just feels like your, um, your day to day job, which is funny to say, but yeah, it's like Halloween is your job every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a little more calculated than Halloween. There's a lot more, you know, you have to think about rather than just uh, going out for the night. You have to think of all the functionality of the makeup and the and how it works with costume and everything. Sure. Do I prefer doing horror, sci-fi, or beauty makeup? Well, I personally, like I said, I really enjoy the characters. Um, I like, and and when I say character, it's like it can be anything from an actor in in a specific look to a, an alien. I I really enjoy the process of designing it and figuring out how this character is going to come to life and have it be believable. I really love the believability. And to distort someone's face into a character design, like an alien design or something, that is a thrilling for me, especially when it's successful and you can you can see this character talking and interacting and they look like they're supposed to be there. You know, like it doesn't look like a mask or um, something fake. My preference to watch has always been sci-fi. I can be super nitpicky about dramas and, you know, like be like, that's not a believable storyline, but I will somehow watch the worst sci-fi ever and like enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't have that expectation, right, of it has to be exactly. Yeah, I don't know why. I just like have a sudden like, oh, I love I love going to outer space. I love like shows that take us to outer space. And I've, I've always kind of loved that genre. So whenever I can do something sci-fi or um, with aliens or anything like that, I'm, I'm really excited to do it. But I, I do prefer, I tend to like sci-fi creature character makeups a little bit more than horror. Horror is kind of like the segue, like that is like where a lot of makeup artists start. Um, there's always a, a million horror movies being made where it's like gore and blood and guts. And, and I mean, that I feel like that's sort of like the the starting point for a lot of, of makeup artists, you know, um, because everybody, there's always something like that that is kind of like your starting movie or something. Um, and I've done a lot of horror. It's very fun to pull off a blood gag, for example, like it's really fun to like actually do something and have it work. Um, and, and there's a lot of techniques involved in that sort of and challenges. But as you start to get further into um, like bigger productions and stuff, you start to notice that there's, there's larger teams and, and more involved. Horror for me is, while it's fun, like my genre personally to watch is more of a sci-fi realm. So I enjoy working in that as well. Right. Um, so I would say that. And and beauty makeup is always fun. It's again, it's it's very interesting to explain because people don't realize how much you're you're making an adjustment to someone's face in a beauty makeup. It's like a lot of people think, oh, 
it's just putting lipstick on someone. But it's it's really, again, that's where you're really getting into contouring and shadowing and just kind of refining someone's face and making them look different or look how they need to look for camera. And it's sometimes, like I said, it's it's a huge transformation and sometimes it's very subtle. It's It's really dependent. Is it also a taste thing that when you start out, you want to do these crazy things like in, you know, horror and you want to go nuts with it and all kinds of crazy makeup. And as you develop, you figure out a less is more approach. And I don't yeah. know, it's like that with a lot of creative fields, I think, right? Yeah, well, definitely. And, you know, the the horror genre, I just know, like, I feel like I started out in a lot of different horror movies. And that was really fun. I mean, uh, a horror movie is always fun and crazy. But it's a lot of cleanup with all the blood or the um, all the, you know, the goriness. Uh, but it it's like as you kind of start to perfect that you do you do want to start refining different things and getting more subtle details um I also just think it's a a matter of preference because I know a lot of artists that love the genre I mean or they they really take like K&B took like the walking dead like the zombies of that like they took it to the next level you know they they took they took like gore to like this like or the zombies to this level that was amazing. And, you know, it, it also, it took like what, how people perceive what, like some of these makeups needs, how they need to look. It made people really kind of up the game for that as well. But yeah, I think it's really, I do think it's a matter of preference. Um, like for me, it's, it was fun, but I do, I do like the, uh, like, like I said, I, I tend to go towards the aliens. <laughs> Well, actually, just one thing that struck me while you were speaking then is that there's been a quite rightly a, an added focus on different skin tones and working with different skin tones in film and TV. Is that a constant work in progress? Is that something you're constantly looking to learn and different products that come onto the market and things like that that, that work with different skin tones? Yeah, I mean, the I've always, as a painter, I've always... Um, I look at everyone's skin tone. I love seeing, like, I, I think about, oh, what color is, what color would I mix? Um, and a lot of, I do think there's there's more product for a, a much broader range of skin tones now. But I also, as, as an artist, I look at it as a paint palette, you know? Like, if I'm trying to achieve the, the look of someone's tone and if I'm trying to I will actually mix the color that I need. And I can do that with the materials that I have. I mean, there is, I mean, there's industry staples that have been around forever. Ben Nye, for example, or you you can mix, they, they have a wide range of colors and you can always mix a skin tone out of most, any of these colors. So, right. so there's I, no excuses. I personally, <laughs> yeah, I haven't ever had a, a problem finding the skin tone color but I do think there is a lot more variety out there now as well yeah great okay here's a bunch more of the set questions for you to pick from historically the most well-known artists are men like Lon Chaney Tom Savini Stan Winston K&B and V Neal is one of the only female artists people have heard of why don't we hear more about female artists I think I think we're going to start hearing more about female artists. I think 
some of the names, those were, you know, kind of back when makeup as and the industry was kind of becoming something. I mean, Stan Winston, KB, Tom Savini. Tom Savini was really big in the 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 zombie and horror realm too. I mean, those those movies made an impact in like the 80s and 90s, they really did. And I mean, a lot of movies in the 80s and 90s were so impressive because they just took makeup to the next level. You know, Rick Baker was another major name of artists that were really big and they had the effect shops. They put together the the world to build these characters. And, you know, V, v has powered her way through there. But I really think, you know, now I in the next like I feel like now there's so many female artists that are very much like Erin McCash, very much involved in like that have done some amazing creature makeups. And I can just imagine that it's we're gonna be hearing more and more names as time yeah. goes on. So it's only a matter of time. Yeah. The balance is I think the balance is coming, you know. I certainly don't think anybody it's not quite the same. Like, I guess I used to call it the boys club, but I do think at this point, it's a pretty well, well-rounded community. Oh, love that. That's great to hear. Okay. Let's try and let's go for one more. Sure. Did she have a favorite creature effect or movie that made her want to get into this field? Well, I have to say for me, I was obsessed with Terminator. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Terminator and Terminator 2 were the two movies that, like, when I remember when Terminator 2 came out, I just, like, I loved this concept of these characters having, like, the metal under the skin and the, also, the then there was the seed when, um, when the character, the T-3000, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where he came out and he was the liquid, um... I mean, all of that was fascinating to me. And honestly, that movie really sparked my interest of like, how do I, how can I do that? How can I get into this as an industry? I was young then, but it really made an impression on me in terms of, you know, things I was interested in achieving, like with Arnold Schwarzenegger's like metal underneath his flesh. And that was just super fascinating to me. So that one is, I mean, I love a lot of movies, but for some reason that really stands out as one that like may, sparked my interest in like, how can I make this work? And I started with the CGI and like I said, I kind of went back to the makeup and that was where I really wanted it, ended up. Love that. Well, for those who are watching your work on The Mandalorian <laughs> and inspired and want to get into this industry, to finish up, what is your advice for those looking to get into makeup for film and TV? You know, I would say do do your research. There's so much information out there now um, where you can learn, teach yourself how to do these these tricks and do these makeup techniques. Um, I think there's some great courses out there that you could even do online if you really want to get into creature effects. I also think like going into the world of like cosmetology and 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 all of that helps you kind of refine some beauty skills. There's so much information. It's just you just have to start practicing and sketching and you know seeing how you can create these characters yourself. But there is a world of resource out there and I really think now is the time to start learning 
at what you can. And there's always an educational course out there that could help you achieve some of that. But but yeah, it's it's I will say it's not an easy industry. Um, you you know, it's, it's a lot of putting yourself out there and you really do need to dive in headfirst to to make your way. Um, there is a lot of competition. But generally speaking, I think try not to go too fast. Try not to expect to be top dog first year in. Be humble and and learn from people. I really think like having the mentors that I've had over the years really, really helped me to develop my, the eye that I had, I really developed it through also the knowledge that other people were giving me. And I think um, respecting the people that created the craft before you and learning from them and then refining things with newer technology, just staying on top of it all. It is, it's a lot of work, but it's, um, if you're passionate about it, and if you are a team player, it should work out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. This was really fascinating to hear everything that you do. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate your sort of generosity in explaining everything. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Soundstage Insider podcast. Thank you, of course, to Christina Waltz, My name's Jamie Muffett. I'm the host and producer of the show. This is an RPS audio production. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're Soundstage In on X and Soundstage Insider on Instagram. And I'll see you next time.